0: We are back in the 13 realms. In this episode, we have a special person. We have Jose Limon, also known as Citrix, in the KOD project. This is one of the most inspirational artists that we have in the project. So be sure to hear his story and all the aspects of KOD. But first, we have a story. We're getting right to the action. We're going back into the KOD lore. Without further ado, let's jump right to it.
1: Chapter 2. The Rusty Axe Two sounds grew louder as Grog jogged towards the center of Longdale, the clang of weapons hitting shields and the rasping rattle of his own labored breathing. Grog genuinely wondered what was more likely to kill him first, the blade of some unknown assailant or a sudden explosive heart attack. Despite the pain in his body and the fear in his mind, Grog was still finding plenty of space in his brain for a sudden bout of serious self-loathing. Since leaving the army just over a year ago, he'd willfully let himself get completely out of shape. But he hadn't realized just how bad things had gotten until tonight. The battle axe felt heavy in his once mighty arms. His stomach bounced and flopped embarrassingly, and sweat gushed from what seemed like every pore. It was as though Grog's bodily fluids knew the fate that was about to befall him, and were making good their escape before they were dragged into any further foolishness. He was deciding whether to stop for a quick vomit before he reached the fighting, when a young dwarven woman cornered the houses at the end of the street and came running towards him. She was clutching a toddler in her arms and shouting wildly. Grog couldn't make out her words over his wheezing breath, the sounds of nearby fighting and the blood pounding in his ears but he was sure it wasn't a cheerful greeting he placed the head of the battle axe on the cobbles leaned heavily on the heft and took a couple of deep breaths as the woman drew close he held up a hand in a halting gesture "Lass," he gasped what's happening run you chubby bastard she yelled hey I'm here to. Grog turned and watched as the woman ran past him and disappeared into the darkness. To help? Pretty bloody rude. Grog thought to himself as he turned back towards the center of town. But then the woman's pursuers came tearing around the corner, and he immediately wished he'd taken her wise and excellent advice. They were dwarves, sort of. They were the same height and build as dwarves, but most dwarves Grog knew didn't have glowing blue eyes or pale, purple-hued skin. Nor did they growl and gurgle madly like a pack of rabid dogs. These ones did. They also carried a variety of clubs, spears, and maces, and were headed straight for him. Grog felt like he'd been dropped into a frozen lake. His muscles contracted and his breath caught in his lungs. The creatures that had decimated his army during the War of Endless Fog and plagued his nightmares for the last 14 months were no longer confined to mist-filled valleys deep in the mountains or even to his own tormented memories. They were here, deep inside the Thirteen Realms, and this time there was nowhere to run. You... Bastards! Grog whispered, tightening his trembling fingers around the heft of his axe. You utter bastards! He shouted as the abomination slowed and formed a semicircle circle around him. There were six of them. They snarled as they closed in. Come on, then! Grog lifted his axe and set his feet. The ghoulish dwarves charged. Grog spun, his axe cleaving the air in a wide circle. It kept his attackers at bay for a moment, but then one of them thrust forward with an obsidian-tipped spear. Grog threw himself sideways, hitting the cobblestones hard. As he rolled to his feet, a bone club caught him a glancing blow across the back of his shoulder. Roaring with rage and pain, Grog lashed out with his axe. It was a wild strike which missed his assailant by a mile. It also left him wide open to the particularly nasty-looking spiked mace, which was being swung at his ribcage by a dwarf with deep, bloodless gashes across its unliving face. Grog threw himself to the street again, this time dropping his axe in the process and also failing to completely avoid the blow. The spikes of the mace tore across the side of his buttock, "'as he fell, gouging channels of oh. agony into his unprotected flesh. "'He rolled away from a stabbing spear, looking desperately for his weapon. "'But the hideous dwarves advanced on him, "'and he was forced to scramble backwards like a wounded, shellless crab "'across the cold cobblestones. "'It'll be over soon,' Grog thought, as he backed into the side of a house. "'I'm ready to go.' The evil dwarves raised their weapons. Grog had time to feel ashamed that after all he'd done, and all he'd once been, these were his final thoughts. He closed his eyes. A brief chorus of high-pitched whining noises sang in his ears, followed by a series of wet, crunching sounds, followed by the clatter of weapons hitting the ground in front of him, and six dwarf-sized thuds. Grog opened his eyes. The abominations were all lying face down on the road, with arrows protruding from the backs of their necks. A squad of Longdale guards were running towards him, with bows in their hands. "'Are you all right?' their leader asked, holding out a hand towards Grog. "'I've been better,' Grog said, reaching up and grasping the extended hand. With a grunt of considerable effort, The dwarf hauled Grog to his feet. He was an imposing figure, with a thick black beard, war paint covering half his face, and a jagged scar cutting across his milky white left eye. You're a Kingsguard, Grog blurted. I am, said the scar-faced dwarf, and you are a lucky bastard. Are you injured? Caught me right in the arse, Grog said twisting and shoving his gut out of the way as he tried to inspect his right buttock. The King's guard sucked in a sharp breath. Oh, that's going to leave a lovely scar. And on my finest feature, too, Grog said, gingerly touching a finger to the wound. It came away covered in blood. Anyway, friend, hop out of the way while we deal with this lot. I'd say you've already dealt with them, said Grog. The King's Guard shook his head. Nope, I'm afraid not. Look. Grog turned, looked, and was horrified to see the fiendish dwarf creatures beginning to move. Most were slowly reaching back for the arrows stuck in their necks. One was already clambering to its knees. Hold this, would you, Val? The King's Guard held out his bow. Grog grabbed it as the guards stepped past him, unclasping sturdy axes from their belts. You've got to take their heads off, the King's Guard explained matter-of-factly. While the scar-faced Dwarf and his squad hacked away, Grog limped over to retrieve Hennig's battle axe. Take off their heads, Grog thought, trying to fight down the waves of shame and regret rising up from his guts. We never even knew. All right, dwarves, the King's Guard shouted. Let's keep going. Where are you headed? Grog asked. Better take news of this attack to the High King. The King's Guard looked almost longingly back towards the center of the town, where flames were leaping into the night sky. We wanted to stay, but. Guard Commander's orders. Agent wants once go with you then, Grog said. I'll. He gestured towards the sounds of battle that emanated from just a few streets over. I'll do it, I can. Don't be stupid, said a female guard, with a large gold septum ring protruding from her nostrils. You smell like a brewery, and that's not just a scratch on your arse. You're in no state to fight, big guy. You'll just get yourself killed. Pixidus is right, the king's guard said, sheathing his axe. Try and get clear of the city. Maybe find a place to hide. I'm not running away. I'm never. <sighs> Grog trailed off. I'll be all right. There was a look of extreme doubt on the face of the King's Guard as he looked Grog up and down. Then he shrugged. Suit yourself, mate. We don't have time to argue. Let's move out. What's your name? Grog asked. As he handed the bow back to the king's guard, I need to know the name of the dwarf that saved my life. Coppermantle, the Scar-faced Dwarf said, clasping Grog's forearm with an iron grip. Duristral Coppermantle. Then he turned and jogged off down the street. Grog watched them go. Then he lifted his and tried giving it an exploratory swing. As he suspected. His left shoulder protested with a surge of pain from where the bone club had hit him. The battle axe was no longer an option. On the bright side, the agony in his shoulder briefly made him forget about the searing fire in his buttock. He limped over to the headless corpses, averting his gaze as best he could, while looking around for a weapon. "'You,' he said to the spiked mace which had injured his bottom." I'll take you. He leaned Hemig's axe against the wall of the house and picked up the mace. He gave it a swing with his good arm. I'm calling you Arse Ripper, he said to the weapon. Then he rested its handle comfortably across his good shoulder, adjusted his steel helm, and began limping towards the sounds of battle.
0: And we are back and today we have such a special guest. We have Citrix, the man himself, Jose Limon. And we are gonna dive into the art of the Kingdom of Dwarves. Jose, would love to hear a little bit about your background and how you got into 3D sculpting.
2: Hey, Chris, well, thank you for having me. I got into the 3D through art school. I actually went to a four-year program. Uh, It was more like like a private university. So that was back in 2007. That's when I started it and then graduated in 2011. At the time, my degree was media arts and animation. So I kind of went through like the whole training of 3D modeling, texturing, lighting, sculpting, rigging, all that stuff. And my focus at the time was to, to be a character artist, but also just more of a general modeler, like 3D modeler. It took me about a year to actually start landing like professional gigs. The first year it was more like just a small freelance stuff here and there, you know, wherever I could get some, some money. Basically, I just wanted to get that experience cause you know, it's pretty hard, especially back then like people wanted experienced artists, but like when you started now, you know, right. how do you how are you gonna yeah. get that? So it's like, I had to do what it took, you know, like just find stuff that it wasn't all that great and exciting, but it kind of gave me more insight into what it would take. Paid a little bit, which was good enough for me to like pay my bills, you know? I started meeting some more people uh, that were crucial for me to actually start dipping my toes in the industry. And then they would give me advice. They would tell me how to do things, and then from there, you know, eventually that network grew a little more, and then I landed some studio gigs. So still freelance most of the time. At the beginning, for me, it was freelance work because it was easy and flexible. Also, at that time, I was living in in Riverside County in in California, and most of the work, you know, it's in LA, so. Uh, I had to make a decision to move to LA and go through all that hassle of like finding where to live and all that. Cause you know, it's expensive in LA. So I had to share rooms with some of my college friends at the time. And then eventually one of my cousins bought a house during during that time in 2013. I ended up renting a room there for like three years. And at the time I was also trying to drive into LA, downtown area, Santa Monica, that commute was Insane, I that's the least yeah. part that I that I uh, enjoyed, you know, <laughs> the, the commutes, but you know, overall it's a cool experience. Eventually, I landed a, a job at a BFX house and I kind of liked it there, so I stayed there for a while. Eventually, another opportunity came to work on a game because one of my goals was to get into a game studio at the time, right? I did land like an eight month contract. There with that company, but eventually that company just folded and went over. So again, I was out of work like one day uh, and then the next day, like, shit, what did I do? <laughs> what I do? to work.
0: <laughs> All right.
2: But uh, luckily though, uh, I already had some connections, you know, I had worked at the VFX house. So I went back there, asked, asked them if, if they had some opportunities for me. So they actually brought me in, which was, was awesome. And then i kind of been there since, you know, like I'm actually still there at that studio. That's that's like my main goal my main job. And I'm doing this right. uh the NFT project as a side thing. Right. What what are some
0: of the projects that you can talk about and, and what was your role in, in some of those great projects?
2: Well, I feel like most of my professional like titles that I've worked on have happened at the studio. That studio is well known for doing a lot of main titles and obviously commercial work, uh some cinematics, but the main, I guess, bread and butter is main titles. Some of those titles, um, or for Game of Thrones, especially, I got more involved in season eight, the last, the last season. I was doing modeling for that project. You know, it's all it's all a team. You know, it's not just one person doing this stuff. It takes a lot, of it course. takes a lot of effort. But I was part of that team, and I'm pretty pretty grateful I got a chance to be on that and see how that the whole production sort of was created. Some of the other titles, the first title that I think got some recognition was Daredevil for the Netflix series. That, was, yeah. that got nominated for an Emmy, I remember at the time. So that's something that sort of like helped me, sort of like motivate me to like actually push myself to get more into that and actually commit, you know, like give it my, my all. After that, another title that came through was The Man in the High Castle.
0: Yeah, yeah, familiar. And
2: that that actually got nominated and we won an Emmy for that title, which is awesome. Took that is awesome. That's that. pretty cool. And then other stuff, we did uh, Gears 5, the the latest game that came out. We did some, we did the main title for the game. That's actually like when mm-hmm. you buy the game, that the intro, we, we did that intro. And then some promotional content for it too some game cinematics those were fun i think for me those those projects are sort of like what what i'm all about you know like creating like worlds and characters so that was pretty awesome so take
0: us through a little bit of that that world tell me uh, about the the main title for gears five like what was your role what was it like working with everybody all together and then what was it like when you finally saw the finished product
2: well in, in the in that space you know, like the client and sometimes agencies, they come to the studio. They have they already have a pitch and an idea. At the beginning, the studio leads or art directors, creative directors, they're the ones who get involved at the beginning, and then they pitch their idea to the client, right? Because there's a, a lot of studios sort of like pitching projects to the clients, and eventually, depending on the direction that client wants to go, they they go with the studio. Luckily, we got that that project on board. And once all that was awarded, and okay, we knew that we had a green light to start production, there's obviously more and more um, studios involved, like the previous houses that sort of create the initial sketch, per se. I think in this case, the previous house was the third floor. They're the ones that sort of like created that whole pre-production process. Also, the, the, the leads on that project get involved Within that process, right at the where I was at the studio, and once all that starts moving along, for me as a modeler, I'm some I'm one of the the first artists, sort of like getting involved in creating the, the assets. So mm-hmm. like as soon as they have approved concepts and sort of like animatics and all that stuff going, then we get started um, on that project. We didn't build stuff from scratch because the client provided a lot of the stuff, a lot of the assets from the game. So we took that and sort of repurposed it for what we needed. We ended up creating our own our own versions of the model rigs so that it will, would hold up in what we needed to to happen, right? Like like more realistic rendering. And so we'll be able to do our animations and all that and particle effects. But yeah, it was a lot of um, sort of taking already pre-existing assets from the client and then just sort of like, like creating a more, uh, what do you say? Like specialized version for our needs.
0: Right. What's the difference between uh modeling and sculpting or are they the same thing?
2: Mm, they're they're different, but they're both part of the process, you know. Modeling could be just creating, let's say in a program like Maya or Blender, you're just manipulating the like the information, right? Like manually moving points or faces per se. Sculpting, you're you have it's more like kind of like real sculpting, but it's done digitally, right? Like so you you're pushing right. and pulling like clay basically so it's a little different but they're both are sort of like going hand in hand
0: awesome so tell me uh, and we definitely have to ask you about how you became involved with this project the kingdom of dwarves how did this begin how did you get tied in with everybody and then what's it been like since you started with everybody
2: i was actually because i've i've worked with Devin at the studio at the vfx company before so i already had that connection with him and we've We've had done all the projects in the past where I was modeling and he was animating. So we already had that chemistry going. And then one day, you know, he just sent me an email asking if I was available for some modeling work, right? So I said, I agreed, you know, that's pretty fun. Then once I found out it was about NFTs, I got more, more interested because I was also looking into that, you know, like as an artist, I feel like every artist has that curiosity to see maybe what that could do to... To your art where you can take it. So when when I found out that it was about NFTs, I jumped on. At the time, the dwarf idea wasn't even on the table. Like they had a totally different idea. I don't know if they've talked about this or not, but initially we were gonna make a shark, kind of like a and Ape right. style art, which it was cool. You know, mm-hmm. for me it was, oh yeah, that's, we can do that for sure. We started, we were moving along. We, we actually had like a, a full-on model of a shark and it was looking pretty cool and some some time during that process they came to me it's like dude we can't do the shark anymore because someone else already did it i know and that's then, crazy and then i saw the work and it was it was similar to what we had but it wasn't quite the same like i think our stuff was a little more closer to legionate than that stuff was and then i feel like they needed to sort of like come up with a, a backup plan and evan told me it's like, what if we use your dwarf right like because i had for me, the Dwarf originally was um, a personal project that I did probably like a year or two ago, you know, as a challenge for me to like, sort of look at, be able to create and get that level of uh, skill to create more of a cinematic quality asset. So for me, that was, it was like a learning experience, but it was a, a, like a very successful creation at the end, at the end of the whole process. So I was really happy to, to showcase it, right? Put it on my portfolio. And put it out there. Uh, you know, literally I know that that would be inspiring a whole new <laughs>
0: movement. Right. It created a whole world. What, what was the initial inspiration to make a dwarf? Was it, were you watching TV and you were like, let me let me see if I can make something like that? What, what was that initial inspiration?
2: Part of that was, uh, like I said, I wanted to create something cinematic quality, something realistic. So I was looking on online, you know, different like concept art from different artists. I think at the time I was on art station, just sort of browsing through all the art. Then I came out, came across this like weird looking dwarf concept. It was very vague, but I kind of liked the the vibe that it gave me. It's like, oh, maybe I should do that. Right. And then also at the time I wanted to get into hair simming and like hair grooming. And obviously that had like the grown, like blown beard. It was like That might be something, you know, worth, worth trying out, see how that turns out. So eventually that's what sort of like, like, Push me to do that that style and that look of the dwarf
0: it's crazy because when i first i stumbled upon the kingdom of doors i think maybe a day before the actual mint and the first thing that stood out to me was the art and i mean i think that goes for just about anybody that's in the discord because it's so realistic like there are so many fine details in each piece that i think you would have to zoom in a lot to really see the depth that you went into in the details and different things like that. But what, what was it about seeing this project come to life? You started with the regular dwarves. Now season two, you're dealing with dark dwarves, all types of different types of dwarves. What has it been like to work through the different stylings of dwarf and what has been some of your favorite aspects of the art?
2: I think um, like in general, seeing the whole lore sort of like, Emerge from just the art. I think that's pretty, pretty fascinating, pretty really exciting. Like, like I never imagined, you know, just that one art, one render would create such a like expansive world. I think that for me, that's some of the the coolest parts of the whole process, giving it life in that sense. But in terms of seasons, I think uh, since the lore sort of dictates what's going to happen next, I think visually it's pretty, pretty cool to actually like put a face or a look to that. You know, I think creating creating that. The vibe from just the words or or the ideas that were created by by the community and some of our our members. So I think you know you have to visualize first what's that going to look like, and then through trial and error, okay, this would work, this not. And then for me as an artist, I think I work very easily, sort of like concepting as I as I sculpt. So it's like it's easy for me. Okay, try something out. It doesn't work, then just move on. You know. And if it works, you can flesh it out and bring it to life.
0: What's something that would be surprising for the folks in the Discord to know about going through the process of making the different dwarves? Is there anything that you're like, man, I wish I could just tell everybody about this?
2: I feel like part of um, the suspense, because me as an artist, I, don't, I also don't know what's going to happen in the future. That's sort of we're going sort of um, like real time as things move along. That's sort of like the direction we go. Not the whole thing, but in general... For example on season three you already know what's going to happen right like visually we're already right. planning the look but i think it's going to be more much more exciting this season two season two was awesome i feel like it was a step up from season right. one in terms of art but i feel like season three we can definitely create a whole new vibe without taking away the base you know like the foundations but like i think one thing that i was observing in magic eating when when season two dropped like the way season two and season one doors for sort of like in the mix all together. I think right. at that moment, it's like, damn, this is going to be epic. Once all the seasons are like intermingled, <laughs> it's going to be
0: freaking awesome. I know that's going to be crazy when you have all eight seasons of doors and people are going to have collections. I mean, did you really think about that? Did you really think that people were going to spend money on your art? A lot of people invest their time, their effort. People are spending their days in the discord based off of the art that you produced yourself. Like, what does that mean for you as an artist?
2: I think that's very humbling and also very motivating to keep on pushing. You know, like like people are excited and they 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 love what you do. So the last thing I could do is just make things better, you know? Like, I want to make sure I can honor that that commitment from them. So it just pushes me to keep on going and, and give it my all. Just create that, that value that they're after.
0: That's awesome. I cannot wait to see all the seasons as they come out. You are a genius. Your art is incredible. Uh, we love that you pop in and you give us little sneak peeks into your process and going through the creation and the sculpting of this art. For the folks that want to stay up to date with you and all the stuff that you have going on in your world, whether it's social media, your Instagram or anything like that, what are the best ways for people to follow you?
2: They could, they could follow me. If they're on Instagram, they could follow, follow me. Um, using the, the, the name Citrix, just literally just Citrix. You can find me through that on Instagram, um, to be able to like follow up on my work. LinkedIn is, is the the way to go. And then you can find that through just linkedin.com, uh, Limon J that's my, my handle on LinkedIn. And then also if people want to check out the actual art from my, my past, um, from my experience gigs you know outside of the nifty world they can go to artstation.com citrix they can find me there and they can follow along
0: awesome citrix really appreciate it and with that we will see everyone in the next episode